Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm back here again. You're Alpha Wolf, or as it used to be formerly called, and still is, we'll cover um, a little Hannah song. <laughs> I'm trying to get things situated here at the last moment. I uh, had a friend of mine spend the night, and he uh, has a polka radio show. Broadcast nationally. Really good show. He had a theme and he came over for New Year's. He's more of a friend of my mother's. But uh, we all get along and it was pretty nice. It was really nice. Um, we've all been you know, tested and everything. We know we're safe. And he said, hey, I have to be up at... Uh, <laughs> I have to be up at 8 a.m. And I said, wow, okay. So, 6 a.m., I'm sorry. So he hurried off to do his radio show, and today he had a malfunction in his equipment, and it spent two hours trying to get it fixed. So I don't want to repeat that mistake. Long pause, dramatic pause. Well, I'm actually, you know, finding a lot of this is happening. Um, to a lot of people, especially with all this going on, we're trying to record under circumstances that aren't actually always ideal. And I'm good though. I got my cup of coffee here. I'm trying to see my itinerary. I have written down to write a small itinerary, and I don't know how well I'll get to that because. <laughs> I was sitting there right before Christmas, like clockwork, and uh, my glasses broke. They cracked. Again. <laughs> I was not a happy camper. These uh, ones I have now are satin brown orbits. And I'm wearing them. They're not anything I would ever want to be seen in public with or wear. In fact, when I have these, <laughs> when I have these glasses, let me tell you, friends, I uh, don't, they, they're not me. Okay, these are not any kind of glasses I'd ever pick out. I picked them out, I needed a spare pair. They still cost me several hundred dollars. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's the story, really, isn't it? That's the whole story. I love the place I got these at. I may get angry at times. I'm not angry at the optometrist. Mike, I went to high school with Mike. He's a great guy. He he cares about you, which means a lot. But I blame a lot of this on this pandemic we're in. It's hard, really hard getting things done. And I don't slight the company at all. It puts me in a standoff with them a little bit. I don't like that. I don't like conflict. I like to avoid it as much as possible. But what basically happened was I, I needed a pair of glasses. Um, the pair I had before, I had seven years. And I went up to this place and I said, look, I've had these seven years. I bought them at Walmart. They're a cheaper pair, but I, I was going through a lot at the time. Uh, my father was dying of pancreatic cancer, and I said, I need, need something new, and I'm willing to pay the premium price for the premium pair of glasses. I want something that I feel is 
made better and looks better and acts better. And they obliged me with that. I like a pair of glasses that are frameless. And they had a pair of Maui gems. And you had to drill the hole in them. So I said, good, go for it. I told them what I wanted. They went with that for me. And they cracked. And I was, was not happy. They actually cracked right about the same time that I fell and got hurt. Uh, I wasn't wearing them at the time. But I took them back. And it was right before everything shut down with the pandemic. And the guy normally drills them himself. Well, he fixed them for me. And I'm not slighting him again for this. I wasn't happy. It's a business thing. It's a business thing. You want things done right. Um, they would wobble. And I wore them for up until about August of this year. So I wore those for about a year with them wobbling. And I took them back because it started, the wobbling started to make these little cracks all along it. Other than that, I had no problem with them. It was it was from stress, stress fractures from the wobbling. And I took them back, and they said, "Oh, yeah, we'll usually don't re usually don't replace the lenses, but we can see they're made wrong. We have to send them out." So during that time, I had to have these made, and I picked picked a cheap pair, and these look like uh, something Johnny Depp wore in that movie, The Secret Window, where he was this writer that was slowly losing his mind. Or something a librarian would wear. They're they're very they're very nice. They're very mousy looking. Uh, I like that look. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting them down, but they're just not the look that I'm used to. I'm used to something without frame, different shape. It it sits better on my face. I can see better. I find with these I can't read very well. It, it kind of offsets the light. So I got those back and. Right before Christmas, of course, they cracked again, and I was angry. <laughs> no, I wasn't angry. I was upset, and I contacted the company because I knew the company had fixed them, that Maui Gym, and they knew nothing about it. So I finally got a hold of the place that I go for my glasses, and I said, hey, you know, what, what do you want me to do about these? If you want me to pay for another pair of lenses, I'll do that. I was at that point ready to go back to Walmart thinking, hey, um... Supporting a local business isn't always opportune for me, but they're going to fix them for free. I do not know what the outcome is going to be like with that. I can't even speculate at this point because, you know, when you're dealing with a company like that, you do not know. For instance, uh, the last three pairs of lenses I had in them all were a little different than the others. So I, I, I can't speculate. But... I'm getting by. I'm getting by. <laughs> mm. We're in a new year here, my friends. And I want to thank you all that helped me out. Uh, friend Kim was stuck in Florida, and I was trying to help her out. I was talking to various people that listen to the podcast, different people trying to pull strings, she was down visiting family, and she needed her way back. I would have been willing to go down and pick her up if she needed to. Uh, with the price of fuel, that would have been very difficult. But I would, we would have been willing to do that for her. I did, however, find it. She found a way. She's a very, very uh, 
practical woman that knows how to do things. And I was glad that she was able to do things on her end to make it work out. She didn't need my help. But all you who were giving me ideas and suggestions from Amtrak to different airlines to ways you can route around to people that you knew, I want to very much thank you for that. This is a time we've dealt with this pandemic for two years now. And, you know, it kind of makes us realize that we have to be there for one another. And that goes from jobs to paying people more to everything, you know. People don't understand the price of what these very wealthy people have to give back. And all of us have as a responsibility to one another. I'm not advocating for anything that uh, where people don't have and everything split equally. That, that of course, would uh, ideally be nice, but it wouldn't be realistic, okay? That would uh, hamper on people with ideas being able to use their ideas and find value in them. And uh, I believe that free market system works very, very well. My point, though, is on people being people to one another. Um... I was going to get later on into this, but now that I'm on that topic, you know, I was talking to a guy the other night that mentioned about where, you know, where are you from and different things. And I just mentioned that uh, I come from uh, Pennsylvania and not far from really where the Amish are. I could drive there in a couple hours. And he's saying, hey, you know, when uh, you get together with those people, the whole community comes together. They care about one another. They put a barn up. They are there. There is no ego. There is no me. And I like I like that. And I, you know, it's nice to see even these these people I know that are able to see the same things that I see when I see things changing so quickly. What needs to change is uh, having some good coffee here. What needs to change is we have to start uh, caring about one another. Um, quit being so quick to flip on each other and get back into the fundamentals of what it means to be a human being, you know? So I really wanted to thank everybody for coming out to help me, giving me your input, your thoughts, your everything you did to try to help me out with that really meant a lot to me to be able to try and help someone out um, that was stranded there's a very dear, long-lasting friend of mine I think very much about. Um, I think I think of all, some of the people I've known, Kim is probably one of the finest people I know. Uh, she's she's a great, great human being, and I will do anything for anybody I consider like family. Nope, no question. So this, this new year, you know, getting onto this, this, this new year we're dealing with, Take us a little slower here. <sighs> I remember when writing 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and here we are, 2010s, 2020s. I lived through, born in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 10s. I've lived through good part of six decades. I can't believe that. I cannot believe I'm writing 2022 on a piece of paper, but I am. 
Can you believe it? And Ariel Toombs, Roddy Piper's daughter, <laughs> she said today, she said something along the lines of, I uh, don't want to say Happy New Year. That's not set the, the standards too high, considering what we're still going through. Let's just say New Year. And I said, well, just put little stars and just write a Y New Year because you can fill it in with anything you want. And that's, that's kind of the truth. But I want to be positive about this. I want everybody to be positive. Um, last year ended on a kind of a sad note, you know. Uh, Betty White. I... Oh, man. I was out hiking. I was out getting out a little bit and uh, out in the woods away from everything. And I, that was the news story that came across came across my phone. In fact, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this must be something really serious. Pick up my phone, look on it, and uh, right then and there, Betty White passed away. I thought, thought to myself... Jeez, uh, what a very sad, sad, sad thing. I say that because it was not just the last day of the year. It was also my Aunt Dorothea's birthday. And as, as many of you know, you've had the let's see here you had the honor of listening to my podcast for a while and or my honor of you listening to my podcast you know that my aunt Dorothy her birthday was December 31st I always used to kid her that she was a end of the year baby and she would have been 96 yesterday so I spent most of the past in the summer, mid-summer to beginning of October, helping her out and uh, trying to be there for her, my great aunt. And she, she always, you know, she had longevity in her family. She wanted to live to be a hundred, and she said that her doctor was going to dance with her at her hundredth birthday. And I, I, I planned this. I'm like, man, this is this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm I'm still had about four years to go, and I was thinking hopefully the pandemic will be over, and she'll get to do this, and it, it didn't happen. So yesterday was her birthday, and I hear Betty White passes away. Of course, Betty White's only a few days away from being a hundred, and she had the same thing. She had People Magazine posted. I believe it was People Magazine, and I had uh, read snippets of those bits of that article that came out, and man, I just, I just, I felt what all my, you know, for a lot of my friends on here, my, my friends that are these really amazing women, she was a role model. <laughs> she was someone that just said it like it was. She was classy. She was witty she was outspoken she was a woman way before her time and she was their hero damn it and i just felt so gutted in that moment because i knew there'd be a lot of tributes for betty white but i also knew 
mainly a lot of the things that she had done were over. And this is a woman who was outspoken for animals. She was outspoken for everything that was about kindness. I, I don't think anything you can think badly of Betty White. I've never heard anybody ever say anything bad about her. Everybody I know that has seen her, or talked to her, or knew her, or had any interaction with her, she she never had an off moment where she was rude. She'd kid with people and she was funny, but she always was a very kind, compassionate, just down-to-earth human being that was everything, I think, perhaps, and I'll say this, Betty White was probably one of the most enlightened women of our time, in the sense that, you know, way before her time, when women's rights in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, Betty White was helping out World War II. She was being an actress that set the bar for different standards. She helped other talent get into the business. And she didn't believe in that glass ceiling. In fact, she shattered it with her work and how she treated other people. You couldn't look at Betty White and uh, think of her as anything other than a true actor, a true legend, a true, honest, to God, gifted individual. And it was so much so, I would say, that it was undeniable that, uh, like people always say, women don't have to prove that they're equal. They are equal. They have to be treated equal. And she made sure that that standard was always given. And it went on to animals and everything else. So, Betty, Betty White, man, how do we think of something like that, right? But I wanted to think about her. That was one of the two main topics, well, three, the new year. But I wanted to think a lot about her and just send my heartfelt condolences to all of her fans out there, her family all the people that were touched by her life. And remember, remember that you have these heroes, but they're human beings. And you uh, you have all these archetypal th things that you, you look at them and you admire. But if one thing Betty White did, I, I think she pointed to all of us and as many of my heroes have, to be the best version of yourself you need to be. I just wish that, uh, like my Aunt Dorothy, that she could have lived to be 100. That would have been really something I would have enjoyed seeing. But alas, it, it wasn't to fruition, as they say. I think that speaks even more about the power of Betty White's life. It wasn't about some number or some goal or something she wanted to achieve. That wasn't anything about it, from what I understand. You know, she she uh, she truly loved and cared about others. 
on to onto a better note, you know, a more positive note, one that's not sad. I in the twenty twenty one, this is twenty twenty two, not intending on buying another fountain pen. I'm not one of these fountain pen nerds, I'm not one of these people that goes crazy about them because I see them to be something fabulous. I think I've mentioned in another podcast that these fountain pens came to me as a uh, it's so hard for me to see with these glasses on uh, these fountain pens came to me when uh, an idea crossed my mind it wasn't it wasn't something I'd ever really thought of and that was kind of why being an artist uh, one of the things I always dabbled into was calligraphy and of course dip pen calligraphy is some of the hardest things to do it takes finesse it takes intense uh, discipline and patience and to focus on on what you're doing and it also writes very much differently and I, I skipped over a hundred years of that history of the pen because it really wasn't something that really interested me in the least I could care less about the history of different pens and different things and in fact when people had mentioned to me about fountain pens in the past I just looked at them and I always considered them to be due to the fact everyone I'd ever saw before had a uh, calligraphy styled nib in it and I thought wow this is not a uh, real calligraphy pen because you can't get the line variation and actually have the control that you do with a dip pen. So I never considered them up to par. I always considered them kind of a little gimmicky novelty that um, was less of an art. And I always considered the doing calligraphy the higher art and these being something with the calligraphy nibs that they tried to make it accessible to get people interested, but they just didn't perform as well, and that's pretty much much the way it is with some of those cheap Schaefer pens. But my my uncle and my cousin were remodeling my grandmother's house after my grandmother passed away, and my other uncle passed away. They found a letter in the wall, and it was the most beautiful calligraphy I'd ever seen. And I, they asked, "I wonder how they did that," and they were going on about how, you know, we have these gel pens today and these Bic pens and different things. And it just hit me out of nowhere that, yeah, that that would have been a dip pen, but it didn't have that line variation. I did, never really looked into it. I never really studied it. I never had an interest in it. And it got me into buying this first fountain pen I have right here somewhere. It was a real cheap Genhow, and it didn't have a very great nib on it. And I put, uh, I'm embarrassed to say this, regular ink in it that had uh, a bonding agent in it that didn't ruin it. I can I clean it out, but it didn't help it. It didn't write, perform well, and it made me re look into it more. And It was a learning process. It was something I always feel every day you should try to learn something new, something more interesting. I have various pens I've bought. Not anything expensive. I don't care about the gold nibs or anything. I'm always more into the everyday man's pen.
So I had, I had every pen I'd ever care to have. There's really nothing I want to collect. A few that came into my way that one reason or another were historical or fun to repair. But I saw this pen for sale around Christmas. And it, I'm going to explain to you why you want to really research things before you buy them. I looked at it, and it's a color I really don't usually care for, blue. But it's a turquoise, it's like a cracked ice turquoise. And it's a Conklin Dorograph Romniflex. And I'm looking at it, and it's a solid color. So first of all, that's that's one thing that was interesting to me. I like a Dorograph. The original Dorograph was... Uh, this style, you know, I believe Parker Conklin had something similar back in the day. Looking at it, I know Conklin is not owned by the same man and has the same name and has the same history, but uh, Conklin pens were founded in 1889, so it's relatively the turn of the century. And Ray Conklin, he'd been in the business in about 1891, and he really was trying to take the fountain pen from a pen that you could let's see here how can I say this he's trying to take the oh, trying to take the fountain pen from a pen that has a dip pen to a pen that you could put the ink in it and carry it with you and it wasn't anywhere near this model this model has a screw in converter but the original one was a crescent filler. And I'll even say, like, with this one, I have a blue ink in it now. It's it's a pretty interesting ink. But open a bottle. You can take a bottle and take your converter and unscrew it very easily. Very little resistance fill it open your bottle it'd be better for a video wouldn't it fill that converter up let the assets run off this is a screwing converter which makes it kind of nice and by doing that I filled my pen up now, that doesn't seem too exciting to people this day and age but when you were trying to, in 1898, 1891 to 1898, try to write with a pen, you were constantly going with a dip pen that when you dip a dip pen in, you're going to hold the ink on the, the nib and it's going to actually have, write very wet at first and then as it dries out it gets thinner. So every, you can actually look at some of the old documents and see every time they dip their pen in. Mr. Conklin invented a system where, much like this converter, at the back of the section was a rubber um, ink bladder. It was held in by lacquer. So you'd have lacquer on the section put down, and the ink, the rubber bladder would fit on top of it, and it would glue it in place, and you would have a crescent. It was a crescent filler that you would turn this ring 
to a, to a spot where a bar would flatten down and it would compress that sack and you could fill your pen up with ink. And the great Mark Twain found those pens to be very, very uh, useful. He, in fact, has one named after him and he became a, a big sponsor of that company. He loved their pens. The Mark Twain is a Conklin pen. And it says something to Mark Twain that uh, the innovation of that time was, it was the newest thing. Now, nowadays, if you get a Mark Twain with that rubber sack and the crescent, it's, it's classic, it's historical, it's great if you want to write that way. A lot of pens still have those rubber sacks in them. I don't have any other than one historic one. Because I tend to see that you have to replace that every so many years. And I'd rather replace a ink converter than an ink bladder. But I still like the fountain pen look. And this is the modern Conklin that's been bought by another company since then. And in this over 123 years, almost 24 years, a solid pen to write with. So what I saw when I'm looking at this pen is, first of all, I want people to be aware when you're buying something to look at every detail of this. I'm looking at the nib and it's a Bach nib. I said that's very odd because it uh, should be a Conklin nib. And I'm looking up at this particular pen, I can't find anyone else that has it. And it so happens that Goulet had this as a limited edition, and it says right on here, uh, Doraflex uh, limited edition 147 of 1898. So there weren't too many of them made. And I knew this because of the fact that the Bach nib at that time, when this pen was a limited edition, I'm not sure what the story is. For whatever reason, Brian Goulet didn't have uh, Conklin nibs to put in them. I believe he hones them himself. And he said, hey, I'm going to be having these with uh, Bach nibs in them. So I knew right there that this pen was a limited edition. I got it fairly cheap. I didn't pay a lot for it. But what I liked, too, was that long cap and body that was solid, iced, turquoise, colored stone. And what it reminded me of and why I bought it was my father had been working for Westinghouse Electric, working in nuclear. And he worked in safety. He was there on the Pacific Ocean. He, when he came back, he spent, he'd spent a go away for months at a time. Towards the end of his life, he couldn't get work in managing. At his age, they uh, discriminated. So he got into this dishonor work. And he, he found these rocks on the beaches out in the Pacific near Big Sur. And he said to me, he brought me one home, and I still have it. He says, hey, you know, I'm not into picking up rocks and crystals and stuff like that. But these people collect these and they're worth a good bit of money. And I found one and I wanted to give it to you because it's a type of turquoise or a tur turquoise eider, I forget what it's called. 
And he said, it's the most beautiful thing. And in all my time in the Merchant Marines, it just reminds me of the deep blue of the, the sea. And he said, I wish you could see that Pacific, how blue it gets. So when I, when I saw that pen, I had to jump on it. It writes, it writes very well. I didn't keep the Bach nib in it. I put a Kaigaloo nib in it. And I'm having a little bit of issues with it. I see other people do. It's uh, not a high-end pen. It's not gold. It's not a... Uh, it's a plastic feed, you know. It's not ebonite. But it's a very beautiful everyday pen. For me as a writer that I find classic in the sense that now that I know there's different nibs you can get for them, I can write different ways and put whatever ink in it. And I haven't inked up with this ink that I helped develop. I had a couple people work on. It's low batches. It's for sale at different places. It's called uh, Victoria's Merlot. Purple ink. And this, this great friend, Victoria, that we were very, very close. We kind of, we kind of lost parted ways with one another. We kind of kind of outgrew each other, put it that way, but uh, I always think of her as one of the the people that really guided my life in my younger years to one of those people believing myself as a writer. And her favorite color was purple, so this ink is a purple and if it's exposed to water or different chemicals, it'll actually turn a deep blue like this. And I like that because the blue of her eyes was the most amazing color of blue. And it fits this pen very well. So I'm, I'm going to be using this uh, when I sign. And one of the pens when I sign books, I have a nice little pocket pen too. I'm not interested in anything expensive. But this is about as expensive as I go. It's the only limited edition pen I have. I, I like I like teaching people of different things. I made a short video that was two minutes long about it. But to teach people to look into little aspects of when you're out and you see something for sale or you see something that has history to it. To look into the history of how it is and why and different idiosyncrasies you find in objects. And a lot of them... A lot of them, if you can uh, see that for what it is, have a value way beyond what, not this, but what's placed on them. Like I found for sale a couple of years ago, some land deeds, looking at this amazing cigar box I liked. And they were for the local um, county, over, over two counties over, that is... One of the oldest in Pennsylvania. And they were all historic. They are worth a lot of money. I donated them to the Historical Society. And had it been somebody else, they probably would have taken them and burnt them. Thrown them in the garbage. And it so happens that one document was so very important because it was... Uh, someone had mentioned to me, contacted me, Where do you have a copy of that? And I said, no, it's in the uh, archives of their family history. It was the only document that was the one they needed. 
just pretty, pretty intense, you know. With this pen, I feel that I can honor the friendship with the ink I had to my friend Victoria. Victoria's Merlot. Truly one of the greatest human beings I've ever known in my life. You know, it's sad that people part ways. You never forget them. And I can also think of my dad with that blue um, acrylic that this is made out of. I don't know if it's a turned acrylic or what it is. It seems to be turned, but it could be injection molded. I don't think so. I couldn't see Conklin doing that. I was talking to Raylan Nelson and Pepper the other night. It was a private conversation, you know, that I'm not going to go into details because I wouldn't want, you know, people going on and saying when I'm talking privately, everything I say. But it was really great. And I really wanted to thank them for it. I wanted to thank them for just, just shooting the breeze a little bit, talking about life. And she's so amazingly down to earth. Pepper is too. Pepper is, Pepper is, he's a fun guy. He's, he's a little, he tells jokes sometimes that are a little, little bit that uh, I probably wouldn't tell, but he's a good guy, man. I like him. And, and it was, it was great. We had a couple other people in too. It got a little weird when a couple of the people came in, but, uh, and then her agent was there. He's a pretty nice guy or I believe he does a booking. That's great. That's great that to see her working on an indie level without that all that big music industry or writing and all that in there and just to be able to talk to someone. And she, she asked me something about the this is what I really wanted to get to. About the books. How, how's the writing industry? And I I really didn't elaborate because to me I said, Well, you know, I uh, just released a book. And my publisher did, and uh, I don't want to really release too much because it's, and I really don't, I mean, really haven't written anything since. I've written a couple things. I always try to take a break after a book comes out, let myself digest what I've put out and promote that and deal with that. And I still write little things that will go into books maybe, but there's no rhyme or reason. There's no like, this is under this umbrella or hat. And she agreed, you know, she said, yeah, you don't want to quality over quantity. <laughs> I don't always, I don't always agree with that. I believe that, you know, you should put everything out there. I don't believe as a writer, songwriter, or anything, you should put out just the good stuff. I think some of that bad stuff shows you as a human being, the whole holistic thing, but I knew what she meant by it. And I think that's what the book, the book sells. She said, I said to her about how you have to be dynamic with it. I had a really great guy, Ken, that I used to work with. And when I first started working with this guy, I was, he was telling me about how he used to sell overprint books. He, they would get them and he would take them around. He'd wake up really early in the morning and he had book sales. He had people working for him that would do these book sales and it was really hot. Like it was really going well. 
He was making a good bit of money from it. And a couple of things killed it. One was all the limitations on being in places because of security. I imagine right now with all this COVID stuff, it would be even worse. The other one being uh, the online books, the ebooks. I really hate ebooks. I can say that. I really hate ebooks. I love them, but I hate them. I love the idea that anybody in the world, a phone, a Kindle, a Nook, any of those e readers, can download my book for a three, four dollar to seven dollar price. I make a big cut of that, more than I would with a printed one. The publisher gets very little. And a person gets to read it, and when they're done with it, they can delete it. That's great for making your work available. And I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of books on Amazon that shouldn't be on there, put it that way. Not that they're bad, but that they're meant just to gimmick people into buying them so they can get a book sale. It's gotten that bad, though. That's the downside to it. It's... Just the way with the music that's being put out. You know, you download one track instead of buying the album where you get to hear everything the artist was feeling at that time in a whole roundabout um, sphere of things. It's like that with ebooks. And I'm, I've seen stuff published and I just go, wow. You know, I would be... Uh, a lot of these... Books are 20 pages long. They have, shall we say, some uh, racy things in them, some raunchy things in them. And a lot, of the, a lot of the topics are actually pretty good. Like, that's the sad part. Is It's like I keep, I keep thinking to myself, man, you know, if somebody would have taken time and expanded on this idea, yeah, put that in it. But make, make it something that has some length and depth to it, that has some character growth, that has all those things that makes a novel. And you can do that in a novelette, too. You can do that in a chapbook. You can do that in... I personally write nonfiction because poetry is nonfiction. But the self-publishing, I totally think, is a great medium. It's a great way to get your name out there. I don't think... Like I told Raylan, there's five main people that run these companies, these publishers. And the people that self-publish are the people that go through a publisher and have a printing... And have to invest somewhat of themselves into it like I do. Hey, that's good too. You should be able to have tiers to this system. It's opened a lot of things up. But an ebook can be deleted. <coughs> I have a copy of Lord Byron's first anthology. Printed in the 1830s. It's got the onion paper. Right at the title, you peel it off. It's like, it's like a vellum. And a copy of Lord Tennyson's book, *The Princess and Maud*, in a leather-bound book. That the woman that bought it as a Christmas gift in 1921. Wrote her name. It's a gift. And that leather is still holding up really well, a hundred years later. I don't see any of these ebooks doing that. So when you give a printed copy of a book to someone, 
even though it costs, even though I'm not making as much money, even though the publisher is literally taking 60 to 70% of the profits from the author. Think about that. It's like that with music too. If they're not making it in-house and sending it out, you're paying for someone to do the illustrations, cover, editing, you name it. And that comes into the publishing, the printing. The printing prices right now, I, I know I, I heard from my publisher this, this year, hey, we've got to raise the prices on all these books because uh, it's costing more. And I thought, wow. And it's going to cost people more. I'm going to have to say, hey, for a copy of my book, you can't get it for 17 bucks. I'm going to charge you 21 I'm not going to make any more money on it, but it's a, it's a printing cost. You know, I don't get that. If anything, right now is the time to be printing books. Keep those presses rolling. They use computers now, but keep it rolling and let people buy books and read them and get their mind off of all this shit that we're dealing with. <laughs> but it's not happening, you know. So what, what, uh, I didn't want to go and elaborate into all that. I'm sorry. And I said, well, it's, you know, it's kind of dynamic. You have to change with the times and be aware of them. <clears throat> but I do believe printed copy of a book, I take a thousand times more pride in than an e-book. And I never really considered myself an author until I had that printed copy hardback the way I wanted it <clears throat> I'd like to get a cop a couple copies made uh, of course it's like it would cost a fortune the publisher said you know that this this is you're, you're thinking old school with my book your alpha wolf with the purple part on it to be a purple velvet And he said, yeah, you're a kid of the 70s, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess I am a kid of the 70s. But I'd love to have a copy of that. You know, I'd love to be able to tell people, hey, you can get this special limited edition. It's like his pen. Maybe 200 copies. Hand-signed. And that's what people like. Then, then if somebody is at a bookstore 100 years from now, and they see a velvet copy of your Alpha Wolf. And they know how rare it is. They'll grab it, buy it, and treasure it as much as what's written in it. Because to them, it's like a treasure, you know? That's, that's what the fun of books is. And then you have the ones with the, the soft covers that peel back and read so much the pages fall out. That's that's the fun of reading. Ebooks are fine, <laughs> but I hate them. Okay. But if you want to buy them and you want to read my book, I don't think any less of you if you buy the ebook, you know, just <clears throat> don't come up with a Sharpie with your Kindle and have me sign the cover of it, okay? <laughs> I'm not signing the screen. This, this new year, and we're facing a lot. We're facing a lot right now. Even us, even us that are vaccinated and everybody else, we're all, again, responsible for one another. The world has changed, my friends. It has changed. 
it's not about the things that we put value in you know so someone said someone said and I won't mention who about somebody doing something stupid this is some song they released that was catchy and made all this money well look at look at how that person's making millions and you people are working so hard on these things and you're not making a lot of money you have to admire that guy that did that yes yes I do more power to that guy but we're not doing it for money my brother we're doing it for love you know we're doing it for love and uh, I think that's what we got to do nowadays because days of having the cars and the women and the cell phones and the big house and all the other stuff or that's that's not ever going to get you anywhere. And I never knew one rich person that ever died happy or accomplished. Every person I knew that had money that gave it away felt that they did it because of a higher, bigger reason than themselves. Not that you should be poor. Although, being poor has its advantages because alike with true talent, as a gift from God, nobody can take it away from you. This year, I'm dipping my pen here in Victoria's Merlot. When my friend would drink Merlot, her soul would get so deep, her words so powerful, a woman of conscience, a woman of beliefs, a woman of convictions, a woman of truths. And in that same dipping this pen, I'm dipping it into this new year, leaving those asterisks, New Year. <laughs> Make it whatever you want it to be, folks. And Happy New Year.